This Voice of the Arts podcast is made possible thanks to the Carnegie Museum of Art. You're listening to the Voice of the Arts, WQED-FM. I'm Jim Cunningham. Maureen Conlon Gutierrez is with us. She will play the Sibelius Concerto at the Pascarella Performing Arts Center, the Johnstown Symphony Orchestra. James Blatchley will conduct March 11 at 7.30 in the evening. It's coming up soon. Sibelius, Maureen, so nice to be with you. Thanks for having me, and always a pleasure speaking with you, Jim. Have you played the Sibelius before? In its entirety, no. And um, it's it's one of those maiden voyages for me right now. And it's been wonderful and, and, and nerve-wracking all at the same time, putting it together. I played the first movement before, and uh, I actually studied it while I was at Penn State and, and won the concerto competition, so I was able to perform the first movement with orchestra. But this piece is is sort of one of those um, Mount Everest experiences when you go from beginning to the very end. And uh, with the end being some of the most tricky, uh, you know, violin techniques uh, going through the, the last minute, you're already so tired. You've already been playing for 25 minutes, 30 minutes. And uh, and then you start a, you got to keep climbing that hill. So it's it's been really fun learning to to have that endurance and and it's just one of the best pieces written for the violin and um, if there's a reason it's one of the most um, listened to and performed concertos for the violin and I am just so deeply honored that I get to be able to have this experience. We have the honor of hearing you as the concertmaster of the Johnstown Symphony, correct? Yes, indeed. <laughs> How long have you yes, been there in the first chair? I, um, this will be my fifth season. Of course, with the pandemic, we had um, some hiccups in there, but this will be my fifth season with them. And um, and it's just been it's been a wonderful experience getting to work with with that um, ensemble and with James Blatchley and with our incredible management team. So. Um, it's not that bad of a drive from Pittsburgh where I uh, live. And it's really beautiful actually at any season uh, because you go through these beautiful mountains uh, to get to Johnstown and, and the town has so much rich history and um, they're slowly growing back as a city. And it's been really fun to be a part of that and, and watch how the orchestra is a, playing a major role in that as well. It's extraordinary that the orchestra has been in place for so long at such a high level of quality. Indeed. Yes, I think it really is a testament to how much the Johnstown audience appreciates the orchestra and and supports it. And our hall is almost always filled. Um, and we have people who who are in the orchestra. Most are locals. And that is a, a huge testament to the talent in this in the town itself. And um, I'd say, I don't know, 30% of us come from from other towns, but it's just it's a wonderful place to work. And it's kind of like, you know, my home away from home now. You also play chamber music from time to time. And you did recently at the Grand Hall on Broad Street in January. And I see there's another concert coming up in April on April 21st. For folks who haven't been to the Grand Hall and what the Chamber Music Series is all about, could you describe the experience a little bit? Absolutely, yes. That is a beautifully renovated um, 
building and they've done an incredible job with it. The acoustics in there are really live and beautiful. It's like, it's like playing in a, in an old church. Cause that's what it was. And, um, and so they have these very intimate uh, chamber music recitals and they're kind of, the audience kind of sits in a round, which is really beautiful to be able to play to all sides of the room. And um, I actually played this recital with Rodrigo Ojeda and we had a, a really wonderful time <clears throat> sharing, <clears throat> excuse me, sharing a lot of um, really great repertoire for the violin and piano. Great. Well, April 21 is the next one. The Grand Hall, as you mentioned, was an old church, Broad Street in uh, in the city of Johnstown. Definitely worth the visit. And then the Brahms Requiem is coming up on May 6. We were going to speak with James Blatchley about that. And uh, I understand he is having an extraordinary event in his life this week. He's going to have a new member of his family. So we'll, we'll uh, uh, hope for good news from uh, James in, in the very near Future. He's really done terrific work. I very much loved Istvan Yarai's long tenure with the Johnstown Symphony Orchestra. James is uh, standing on uh, Istvan's shoulders and, and really doing well. Yes, yes. He has really been um, supporting the orchestra and raising the bar for all of us. And, you know, that's what one always hopes for and, and wishes for in a conductor and one that, that is able to collaborate uh, with all the musicians. And he's, you know, he's a Grammy award-winning conductor now. And, and the way that he programs the um, repertoire for the year is, I think, really, really great. Um, introducing new pieces, new works that are very accessible to our audience. And while, in, while still incorporating the greats like the Sibelius Violin Concerto. I want to know a little bit more about you, but tell me first a, a bit more about the Sibelius Concerto. It, it has a terrific ending, uh, wonderful, uh, tricky rhythms which catch the ear of the audience. But you mentioned some of the technique that's involved is is very challenging. Yes, it's it's surprisingly tricky. Um, it just the way that he incorporated pretty much all the things that you can do on the violin in one piece is really fantastic. And, and, you know, obviously the second movement is one of the most glorious second movements of all violin concertos. It just, it really strikes a chord in, in even the, the most hard-hearted. <laughs> it's so um, intimate and, um, and kind of intense all at the same time. And, and then the first movement, everyone kind of um, relates it to, you know, the way that he evokes the, the scenery painting of his home country. And, and I would have to agree, um, after having had the opportunity to go to Finland, I, I can totally see slash hear what he was trying to paint in that, in that beautiful first movement. And um, it's just, it's so beautifully balanced. There's a little bit for everyone. And, um, and the pyrotechnics, of course, are fun to watch because of the way that he uses um, chords and harmonics and huge arpeggiated sections and at the same time, very beautiful, simple melodies and going up and down and using the, um, the very the beautiful, rich sonority of, of the, the lower string on the violin, the G string. And and also the very very high notes on the E string, which um, 
is it, it you know has those polar opposites and really exploring those um, different op, uh, intensities of that the instrument can can do. Uh, so it's it's a fun piece to play to listen to. Um, it was actually James the one that chose the piece, and I'm so glad that he did because um, it's given me this chance to to be able to play the whole thing with an orchestra, which you know it's it's a it's always a wonderful thing to have that kind of sound coming behind you and, and incorporating your, you know, the, the one melodic line into what's happening with the orchestral um, part. And the way the Sibelius wrote it is just brilliant. It's really beautifully done. You mentioned now that you have been to Finland, you hear the Finnish countryside in the music, is there a particular picture that you have? Snow always seems to figure into Sibelius. I don't know. The Sibelius second that the Pittsburgh Symphony and Andre Previn recorded, the album cover is just big uh, snowy landscape with an occasional dot of a green tree sticking out of it. But uh, what pictures are in your mind when you hear the Sibelius? Well, for me, it was the water. Um, the way that the water and the land kind of come together, there's always kind of a, a, a mist over the water because it is it is a cold place and the sun does not shine all that much, at least while I was there. <laughs> I only got one sunny day, but um, it's it's eerie. It really is. It, it The way that you just always kind of see everything through a lens of, of uh, mist and fog and it brings out that kind of, um, I don't know, it's a, a more mysterious feel to the town that, it, you know, they they have their very unique cuisine and they have um, a lot of people are fishermen. And um, it's, I just loved watching how they they interacted there on the countryside, on the, on the lakeside. Um, and they have a lot of waterfront. Um, so yes, I'm sure there's a lot of snow. I actually was there during the summer. It was uh, end of June. So I didn't see all that much snow, but being able to see how the water and the land uh, meet and, and what that looks like, it really was able to, I don't know, make the, the first movement really come alive for me. Maureen Conlon Gutierrez, you were born in a warm place. Yes. <laughs> yes, so the coldest is difficult for me. <laughs> Where in Mexico? I was born in Mexico City, so right in the middle of, of the country. And uh, yes, there is it's uh, high elevation; it's about eight thousand feet above sea level. So it's not coastal; it's not super hot. We do have winter, but every day the sun comes out and heats uh, everything up to at least seventy degrees. So I am very much used to the sun, <laughs> which um, being in a place like Pittsburgh has has definitely uh, been different, a different experience. And, and of course, the finish like that is their life. So being able to, to see how they bring the warmth to their lives in a different way oh. that um, they can't find the sun. It's, it's really, really cool. So where is San Miguel de Allende, uh, Guanajuato? Where is that? Yeah, that's that is where um, I grew up, and it's about um, about a four-hour drive north of Mexico City. And if you were to pinpoint the belly button of, of the country, that's where it would be. It's the heart of it's considered the heart of Mexico, and 
and where a lot of historical things um, came to place, such as the Declaration of Independence, actually where the first Declaration of Independence happened was next door to my house uh, where I grew up. So it's very rich in history and um, we have a lot of, of uh, architecture that is at least 500 years old. And so being raised in a place that just has a very unique feeling um, almost nothing there was new when I was growing up. Now things have changed a little bit with tourism, but um, it was a very cool experience. Classical music was still not a huge thing when I was growing up. Um, like I said, things have changed, thankfully, in that respect. But um, yeah, it's it's been a, a very stark difference coming from San Miguel to to here. It's it's like living in a in a little. Uh, <laughs> Disney castle <laughs> from uh, the 1500s um, where everything, you know, the, the, the whole town is um, cobblestones and, and all the buildings are, are quite, quite old. Everything's made out of stone. And, and now I live in a paper house, you know, so very different. <laughs> where did you lose your accent? Penn State? <laughs> so my dad is actually Irish American from Chicago. And um, when he was in Mexico, he met my mom and, and that's where I was born and raised. And, and they knew that they wanted their kids to speak both languages. So I was always spoken to in English at home. Even my mom made a huge effort to speak in English. And, um, and then I spoke Spanish, of course, in school and with friends and, and everywhere else. So it was, it's, I know it's a, a, a huge blessing to be able to speak both languages fluently um, with with almost no accent, hopefully. <laughs> so great. Did you ever meet the only other uh, Pittsburgher I know who wound up performing professionally in Mexico is Eleanor Weingartner, the clarinetist with the Mexico City Philharmonic. She was the daughter of Rudolf Weingartner, who was the chance, uh, the, the dean at uh, University of Pittsburgh and a member of the symphony. So you haven't met Eleanor yet. You have to try to connect <laughs> It's a big country. <laughs> it's a big country to, to meet all the musicians there. Well, uh, you played in the Sphinx organization and you've won numerous uh, competitions of one kind or another. You played in Erie. If I look in the pit at the Benetton, I find you in the ballet and the opera orchestra. Tanglewood is on your list. Tell me a little bit about your other playing so that people can find you in addition to your work at Johnstown Symphony. Yes, I um I love variety in my playing and I feel really lucky that in Pittsburgh we have a very rich cultural um, legacy and there's just so so many great organizations so I have auditioned and, and gotten into um, most of, of the musical organizations in town so yes I'm in the Pittsburgh Opera Orchestra and the Pittsburgh Ballet Orchestra and um, those are both styles of music and genres of music that I adore. I um, fell in love with opera, uh, I don't even know, maybe two decades ago, and and I just cannot get enough. It's probably one of my favorite styles of music to play. Um, and of course, ballet, some really great music written, you know, Tchaikovsky being the most famous, but um, I'm also in the Wheeling Symphony, uh, since that's only about an hour drive from Pittsburgh and um, they also have really great programming going on there with John Devlin. 
And um, I was in the Erie Philharmonic for many years, Dan Meyer, and just the, the drive got a little, a little too much for me. But um, yeah, I was concertmaster of the Erie Chamber Orchestra that no longer exists, unfortunately. And, um, and two local organizations that are doing fantastic work, Resonance Works um, with Maria Sensi-Selner and Chamber Orchestra Pittsburgh with Eddie Leonard, um, being able to do very different styles of music with, with each of them has also been uh, really fun. And, and so I really do get to do a large gamut of repertoire um, and, and be able to play with lots of different um, musicians, very talented people in town. Did you come to CMU to work with Andres Cardenas, our longtime concertmaster of the Pittsburgh Symphony? Would you mind saying that again? Not at all. Did you come to Pittsburgh to work with Andres Cardenas, our concertmaster of the Pittsburgh Symphony? Yes, I did. Um, I didn't know Pittsburgh existed before that. <laughs> so um, I am so glad he introduced me to the town. And um, I actually met him while I was getting my master's at Penn State. Um, the Pittsburgh Symphony came to do a side-by-side -side with the Penn State Orchestra. And since I was concert master at the time there, I got to sit with him and we developed a really good rapport almost immediately. And I will never forget that that encounter, we were playing Mozart 40 and, and just being able to sit next to um, someone who has so much experience and knowledge on orchestral music was so uh, special. And and I knew almost instantly I wanted to come to study with him. And, and uh, so yeah, about two weeks later, I discovered Pittsburgh <laughs> and uh, I just, I had a feeling about it when I drove through those Squirrel Hill tunnels coming from Penn State and, and kind of emerge on the other side. I just was like, this is, this is home. And it's been home for uh, 15 years now. So yeah, really great city to be in. And you have a family here too, which is beautiful. Uh, a daughter, Camilla. <laughs> yes. Yes. Camilla is almost four. So Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. And did you know there was a great rivalry with Penn State and Pitt when you were at Penn State? I had no idea. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't, don't know much know. about it either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I clearly uh, was too busy practicing. But um, yes, I actually learned that once I came to Pittsburgh. I, I, I didn't, I had no idea. It's very it's interesting how intense it is sometimes. I, I'm still uh, yeah. a little bit puzzled by that. Now, because you grew up in Mexico, you got to tell me. Where can you get a good taco in this town? The taco thing is exploding. There's a lot of Mexican cuisine that wasn't here even five years ago. It's surprising to me. I know. And and about time. <laughs> I am so glad. When I first got here, I could not believe that you could not get uh, good Mexican food. Uh, because having done my, my undergrad in Houston, Texas at Rice University, there was really good Mexican food you know, everywhere, pretty much. And um, coming to a city as as large as Pittsburgh is, I know it's still considered a smallish city, but it, it you know it's substantial. I was surprised. I was surprised how little um, the population of of Mexicans, particularly in town, were at that time. And so it's really changed. And because we have a lot more diversity in our in our town in terms of um, Latino population. We have really great food. Um, so Las Palmas has been going strong for a while. 
I'd say maybe they were the only ones that were here uh, when I first arrived. So if you want a really good taco on the street, you go to Las Palmas Beachview. Um, and they now have locations all over the place. I mean, they're in Oakland, they are opening in Coropolis, they are in Moon. Um, so they are probably the staple taco, taco place. But, you know, La Palapa on Carson Street, they are fantastic. Um, there is, uh, oof, let's see. I, mean, I have so many friends that sell tacos, so it's, it, I'm going to have to <laughs> try to mention them all. There's Rincón Oaxaqueño, and they actually do, uh, it's a food truck right now, and they kind of move around, so you have to follow them on Instagram to kind of see where they're at. But um, they are amazing, and they specialize in food from kind of like the southern part of the country, Oaxaca, which is very difficult to get to as a Mexican. It's it's actually, re if you don't live in Oaxaca, it's hard to get there because of how... Um, mountainous the the state is so it takes a very long time to get through the the state but their food is renowned i mean even in our in our country we know people in oaxaca know how to cook so um if you are able to find their their food truck go go check it out because all their food on the menu is is amazing and the owners are the sweetest um hard-working people this Voice of the Arts podcast is made possible thanks to the Carnegie Museum of Art.